Our first reading this morning is from Psalm 118, beginning at verse 19, and that's on page 589. Page 589, Psalm 118, starting at verse 19. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvellous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. This is the word of the Lord. And the gospel today is taken from Luke chapter 19. Um, starting at verse 28, and that's paid on page 995. If you would like to stand for the gospel, please. So Luke chapter 19, verses, verse, beginning at verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray you'll help me this morning as I bring this word, Lord, that I believe I've been given by you. Lord, let it be uh, salt and light to the people who hear it. In your name. Morning. So when Paulette first emailed out the uh, the rota for potential preachers, um, I was in Australia at the time working with math. So let's get rid of this staple. And uh, I was busy, so I left the email. I didn't look at it. That was the first mistake. So eventually, when the second email came out confirming the rota, I thought actually I better check the draft and see when I'm preaching. Um, so I found out last Saturday evening that I was preaching today, Sunday, Palm Sunday, one of the biggest days of the Christian calendar, and I thought, oh my word, alive. Once my moment of panic had passed as to what I would speak on, and what could I bring out of such a well-known passage, I went to sleep. The next morning, having woke, I woke up having had a dream, which I had just been diagnosed with a terminal illness. A bit strange. But during that dream, I'd remember the passage Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. From Psalm 23, verse 4. 
and then it dawned on me, it seemed to make clear what I should speak on. The question I had was, how did Jesus approach his last week on earth, knowing that he was to die during that week we now call Holy Week? How did Jesus approach death? What could he have been thinking about as he entered the gates of Jerusalem? We see in this passage that he knows where he has to go. In fact, he is known from at least chapter 9, because we see in verse 51 of chapter 9 that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The New King James Version uses the phrase, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now that journey took him a while. He didn't do a direct route. There were things he wanted to do and that he wanted to teach on as well. So what's been Jesus been doing before his entry into Jerusalem? We can see in the earlier chapters that he's been cleansing lepers. He's been teaching on prayer, blessing children, restoring sight to the blind, and having dinner with an, a tax, an outcast tax collector called Zacchaeus. And all that in chapters 17, 18, and 19, let alone what he does in chapters 10 to 16. When we read this passage, we can see that Jesus has got a good grip on what is going to happen. He tells his disciples to go to a nearby village, there to find a colt tied up that's not been ridden. And he tells them to bring it to him. And he even says what the owners will say to the disciples when they ask what, when they ask what they're doing. And even what they are to reply, that the Lord needs it. So they go into the town, they find the colt, get asked what they were doing and reply just as Jesus had told them. He knew what was going to happen. Jesus knew the plan. We can see in Matthew's version of the same event that Matthew references the prophecy from Isaiah 62, which says, Say to daughter Zion, see your kings comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus would have known the scriptures. He knew what, he was, what the plan was for him to do. He gets on the donkey, rides into town. He comes in peace with a multitude of followers. Now, when I was preparing this, I saw something different that I'd not realized before. Perhaps I've just been a bit dim in the past. Some might say I'm still dim now. Um, see, in the past, I'd pictured this entry as Jesus with his 12 disciples walking behind him, going into Jerusalem, and the whole city going wild. But that's not how it was. See, we see in verse 37 that the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice. This is in, in Matthew's version. Rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. He had a multitude going with him into the city, into Jerusalem. They were the ones who had seen him do all those amazing things, hence they are following. He is the biggest show in town and they want to be there. In fact, we see in Matthew's record uh, in chapter 21 verse 10 that all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from, the, from Nazareth of Galilee. When I think about this more, I reflect on the fact in the past I considered how could a whole city of people go from laying their clothes in the road and then within a week be abandoning him? That within, a, within a week he would be left alone apart from his mother and a couple of disciples. I thought, well, perhaps the city of Jerusalem didn't really know what he had done and that's why they turned against him. Now I see it was something different. It was a multitude of his disciples who had laid his cloak, their cloaks in front of him, not a whole city that hardly knew him. 
In fact, his abandonment is all the greater for the people that had walked into Jerusalem with him could have been those that he'd fed during the feeding of the 5,000. The ones who had seen him healing the sick had seen him raising Lazarus from the dead. Within a few days, they had all left him. In fact, if we follow on after today's passage, in the next verses, we see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem as he draws near to the city, saying that they did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. He knows that very soon Jerusalem will reject him, and we know that instead they will call for a murderer called Barabbas to be released. Jesus knew what was, hap- what was happening. He knew how Jerusalem was caught up in a moment, but there had not been a change of heart for them. They had seen him, but they had not seen what he was really doing. He still is the king of kings. So while they were praising him, he knew what was to come, and he still goes into the temple. He clears the temple and starts to teach. This is the time for those last few sermons he will preach, those last few moments of imparting to his disciples. This is the time for the last few bits of encouragement before it's going to get very dark. Even as he is teaching, the chief priests and the leaders amongst the people were trying to find a way to kill him. So as Jesus has grown from a small infant, from a baby that we were thinking about only a couple of months ago, to a man, he has spent three years ministering to the sick, the lame, the broken-hearted. In fact, Christmas is just a nice little moment of a newborn baby if there is no Easter. Without Holy Week, there is no mission. There is just a baby born into a virgin in a stable. See, the cross was the mission. That was the mission that he took when he left the wonders of heaven and was born. He knows what is to come. I'm sure as a young child or teenager, he might not have fully been aware of the fact that he was to be the sacrifice for our sins. As a young child, he wouldn't have known it. But by now, he's fully aware of the path that's in front of him. We can see that because if we look in Luke 18, verse 31, Jesus said to the twer- took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them and they did not know what he was talking about. So whilst the disciples didn't know, Jesus knew. Jesus knew what was expected of him. He knew he had to die to be the sacrifice for sin. So what we call Palm Sunday, we have him riding into Jerusalem with crowds praising him. And he knows where this is going to end, and still he does not shy away from it. When I woke from my dream, that part of Psalm 23 was clear in my mind that I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. The Mount of Olives, where Jesus starts this journey on Palm Sunday, is a small hill on the east side of Jerusalem. Now, I've had the privilege to go there and stand on the mount and to look out towards Jerusalem. It is an amazing sight. But to get to the east gate, the one he entered into, he would have had to come down off the Mount of Olives, cross the Kidron Valley. So from the Mount of Olives, Jesus would literally have been walking through a valley, approaching the shadow of his death, the event that was still to come. If you picture yourself walking towards a cross and behind the cross there's a bright light, the result is a shadow of a cross between you and the cross. So if you have a light behind the cross, it puts a shadow in front of you. As Jesus approached Jerusalem, he would have seen the light of the resurrection that he knew would come, but before that light there is a shadow cast in front of the cross. 
That is the shadow of death. Jesus knew he had to pass through death, through the shadow, to be the sacrifice for my sin, for your sin. So he, he knew he had to die, but he also knew the nature of the death he was to face. He would have seen people crucified by the Romans. He knew they were skilled at it, prolonging death for those they placed on a tree. For the Romans, it was as much as a warning to others to what happens to those who rebelled against Rome as it was a means to execute the wrongdoer. Now, why spend hours waiting for them to die? A sword would do it quickly. The Romans were masters of the efficient. We can see that from the straight roads they left behind in the UK and the ways they moved water around. But a quick, efficient death would not be such an effective deterrent. It would not have had the same deterrent effect that a crucifixion had. Now, before we start getting all self-righteous about the execution of the Romans, the British method of hanging, drawing, and quartering was all intended to be a public, long-winded spectacle that would deter possible traitors. The executed person sometimes not dying until the final phase of quartering. So you can understand why a few days later, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asks if there's another way that he could take, rather than through that valley of the shadow of death. He knew he was to be hung on a tree. He knew that what was written in Deuteronomy 21 verse 22, that all who are hung on a tree were under God's curse. I'm sure that when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he realized he would need to lay down his life, that Psalm 23 would have been a comfort to him. However, I'm sure that while Psalm 23 would have been good to remember, he'd have also remembered Psalm 22. It would bring bringing home the reality about what he was to, going to go through. Psalm 22, verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth, and you lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. So as we approach this week of Holy Week, we have the advantage of knowing how it all went. We know how Jesus dies. We know he'll rise from the dead and he'll ascend into heaven. But how will you approach the valley of the shadow of death this week? I think as we, as we considered the shadow, there can be three reactions or positions that we could find ourselves in. For some of you, you might not quite realize what he did for you, and more importantly, why he did it. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He has loved you since your birth. In fact, he gave his life for you to deal with that big shadow of death, sin that separates us from God. Because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the penalty for sin is death, that big shadow hanging over us. But we read in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus died to deal with that great big shadow that hangs over us until we become a Christian. So have you accepted Jesus as your saviour? If not, or perhaps you're not even sure what that means, then speak to someone today. Find out more about what Jesus has done for you. Don't delay. For some of you, you've dealt with that big shadow of death 
the one that can separate us from God. But there might be smaller shadows facing you at this time of your life. It could be some ill health. It might be the loss of a loved one. It might be a worry or a concern. These smaller shadows can still be scary and are real. We can take comfort that Jesus is the light of the world. And as such, he can bring light to the situation. Walking with Jesus along a path in a shadow or in the light is so much better than walking alone. And whilst the light might not get rid of the shadow completely, it would be a better place to walk with when the light is on. So if you have one of those smaller shadows in your horizon, that I encourage you to get some prayer after the meeting today. Go to the place of the cross and someone will be there to pray for you. Jesus wants to bring his life and light to the situation. Get someone to pray for you and be prepared for your situation to change. For some of you, you're a follower of the Christ and you have no shadows in your life. Great. My exhortation to you will be to pray and support those who have shadows in front of them. And spend some time, perhaps this week, thinking if there's something new that God wants to reveal to you about his sacrifice on the cross. Perhaps read the chapters uh, of 19 to 24 in Luke, perhaps one each day from tomorrow till Saturday, to read the journey again about the life that Jesus, the journey that Jesus took for us. Wherever you are, whoever you remember, whoever you are, remember that Jesus took this path for you. And I'll close with Hebrews 12 verse 22, uh, 12 verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You are the joy that he endured the cross for. He thought of you and endured the cross. He was crucified, naked, in an utter agony, so that you will be able to live in freedom, free from sin. Hallelujah, what a saviour. Amen. Thank you, Andy, for that. There's um, a lot of richness there and a lot of depth and uh, some good things to think about in the light of it. Um, Some actions for us this week. Thank you.